I'm starting a series of messages. This is kind of different than what we typically do. Typically when we do a series of sermons, we have a set time, so many messages and uh, themes for each Sunday and so forth. Um, This particular series comes out of what the Lord's been stirring in my heart for the last couple of months. And um, so I'm, I'm not really... Uh, thematically designating each Sunday or even setting a time to stop. I'm just going to go as, as the Lord leads me here. And um, the title of this series is Understanding the Times, Understanding the Times. Um, I want to help you understand what time it is. Now, I know we had a time change during the night last night. Um, that was a blessing, wasn't it? I like it this time. It's the spring that I don't like so well, but at our house, I may have told you this before, but uh, on Faye's side of the bed, she has a nightstand and it has a clock on it. And she has a real nice clock. And her clock's a lot smarter than mine. It's got a commuter in it and everything. And, and you, you don't set her clock. Her clock tells you what time it is. And it's, it, now I've got one on my side of the bed and you have to tell it what time it is and it'll go from there. It, it's good, you know, but but hers is smarter than mine and costs more than mine too. But, uh, but when they put that computer chip in her clock, it was before they extended daylight savings time to longer in the year. And so her clock changed several weeks ago. It went back to Eastern Standard Time several weeks ago. So she's been getting an extra hour of sleep every day. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and I'm okay at night when I walk in, look at the clock and say, yeah, there it is. One, one time over here, one time over there. It's in the morning when you wake up and you're kind of foggy and you look that way and you look this way and you don't know what time it is, you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I was really glad when the time changed last night because this morning they're together. Finally, we both know what time it is. And uh, we're going to go from there. But I'm I'm embarking on this new series of of messages today. Um, And it very well may be the most important series of sermons I've ever preached. I know one thing, it'll be the most up-to-date. Because I'm going to share with you what God has given me by revelations after a time of prayer and fasting um, back in June and, and then more times since then. The Lord's really been stirring something in my spirit. And um, I'm, I'm going to give you what I've received from that. I, I'm going to have to admit that some of the things I'm sharing with you at, out of this time has caused me to change my own theology, uh, especially as it relates to eschatology. And I'll share some of those twer- those tweakings that the Lord has been doing in my own spirit about where we are and what we should be doing and, and so forth. I'm, I'm for a text, and I want you to get these, these scriptures. If you miss everything else, get these scriptures that I'm going to give you right here at the beginning because they're very important. In fact, we're working on, uh, someone has asked me, and I thought it was a good idea, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try, hopefully within the next week or so, to get on our website where you can just go to the website and get the whole sermon outline. And, and that way you can just pull it up while you're sitting here on your device. And, and then you can add your own notes or so forth instead of trying to take a, a lot of long notes. I'll try, to, I'll try to get that for you. But these scriptures, and usually when I take a text, it's just one scripture. This morning I've got several scriptures that I want you to be sure and get. Because this is foundational to what I'm going to be sharing for the next uh, several weeks. First of all, from Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. Here's what Paul said. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I want you to notice, leave that up if you will for just a moment. I want you to notice that last phrase that says the manifestation of the sons of God. Say that with me. The manifestation of the sons of God. Some translations say the revelation of the sons of God. 
What Paul is telling us here is that something is going on in the whole creation. Planet Earth that we're living on, something is happening in, in these days that is causing, is, is causing uh, an expectation of the revealing of the sons of God. And when I say sons of God here, we're talking the children of God, I think would be a better word to use, sons and daughters of God, the revelation. I love the way J.B. Phillips translates this verse, and so let, let me read this to you. Here's what, here's what J.B. Phillips says. Remember, he's quoting Paul here. Here's Paul saying, In my opinion, whatever we may have gone through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future that God has planned for us. Can I stop right there? And I, does that do anything to anybody besides me? How many of you are glad that God is about to do something really good for all of us? You, you glad about that? Amen. Wow. Paul, Paul actually said, he said, <laughs> he said, in fact, what God is about to do for us, in us, and through us is so good that what we've been suffering in our past won't even be worthy for us to even talk about it compared to what God is about to do. Now, he's not minimizing what you're going through. You may be going through a tough time. You may be going through the toughest time of your life, but I'm here to tell you prophetically from the Word of God that we are nearing a day when God is going to do something in us and through us that will be so wonderful the, the, the manifestation of the sons of God, the revelation of the children of God, when we find that place and finally arise in him and become who he wants us to be, it's going to be so magnificent that it won't even be worth comparing to what we've gone through to get here. Let me read the rest of it. The whole creation is on tiptoes to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Wow. Paul said it's, it's like the whole creation of God is, is standing on their tiptoes saying, wow, look what God is doing as he manifests his children in this earth. And it's going to shake the whole earth, believe me. Now, I want to give you another verse of Scripture as, as a text for this series because it's foundational again, and I'll, I'll refer back to it many times. Matthew 24 and 14. This is what Jesus said. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Say that last part with me again. Then shall the end come. Say it one more time. Then shall the end come. When? After this gospel has been preached into all the gospel of the kingdom of God. Not, not just any gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom of God shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Then, then. One, one more passage. And this is from the Old Testament, from the book of First Chronicles. And... Um, it has to do with the time that David was being anointed as king. In chapter 12 of First Chronicles, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to read verse 23, and then I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 32. And the reason I'm going to do that is because once it introduces what's going on here in verse 23, um, then it starts listing all the tribes of Israel and what they did uh, to, well, let me just read. These are the number of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. And then it goes through all the different tribes, tribe of Judah, tribe of Asher, tribe of Zebulun, tribe, all these, Nephtali, and on, on and down. And it comes to, the, to Issachar, and listen to this. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Now, here's the importance of this. The, the men of Issachar, all of, all of his family and relatives and descendants, the men of Issachar had divine insight 
spiritual revelation so that they could understand the times that they were living in. And, and here's what's even more important than understanding the times. And they knew what God's people ought to do. That they had an understanding, a revelation of what God's people ought to do. Here's what I've been praying, and I, I agonized with this yesterday morning for hours, uh, begging God to help me with this over, over the next few weeks. I'm asking God to help me do three things in this series. Number one, to clarify the times in which we live, are living, or um, an easier way maybe to remember that is to answer the question, what time is it? Secondly, I'm asking God to help me clarify our identity or answer the question, who am I? And thirdly, in this series, I'm praying that God will help me determine what we should be doing at this time or answer the simple question, what should we do? Would you be willing to pray with me and ask God to help me do that over these next few weeks? Would you pray now? Father, I just pause at the beginning of this message. Lord, there's, there's no time in the week when I feel more inadequate than when I sit down on this chair on Sunday morning to break the bread of life. Lord, you're such an awesome God. Your word is so wonderful, so powerful. And Lord, we're nothing without you. And Lord, this congregation doesn't need another sermon. They've been sermons enough preached to save the world. But we do need a message. We do need to hear from God. And so I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. And I pray, O oh God, that you would take this simple body of flesh and anoint me with your spirit. Holy Spirit, burn this message on my heart. Quicken my mind to think clearly and, and correctly. And anoint my lips today to speak the eternal truths of God's word, we pray in Jesus' name. And amen. Let's dive into the first question, and I'm, I'm going to try to get through that first question today, not spend more than one Sunday on that, because I'm, I'm so anxious to get into the second question, and I'll probably spend several weeks on that. What time is it? Where are we in the scheme of things, in the God's calendar, in, in the timetable that God has set for planet Earth? Where are we? The disciples asked Jesus some questions related to this in Matthew chapter 24. And uh, let, let me sort of set the background here. They had been to the temple, and as they were leaving the temple, something happened. And I'll just read it to you in the first three verses of Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I tell you. In other words, Jesus is saying, you get, you get, mark this down. Truly, verily, in fact, emphatically, I'm telling you, I say to you that not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, I love that. When Jesus preached, he sat down. Um, the older I get, the more I like that. <laughs> he sat down. I love Acts chapter 2. In, in, on, <laughs> and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. Y'all will get that after a while, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, some people think you got to be standing to receive the Holy Ghost. No, you don't. They were in the upper room. They were sitting and received the Holy Ghost. I'm not trying to start a new doctrine or a new um, theory that you have to sit down to preach. These younger guys, uh, they, I used to run and jump too. Um, 
But the older I get, the more I enjoy sitting. Jesus sat down and, and, and he talked. I lost my place. Where is it here? Let me, let me find. <laughs> I really got distracted there. Y'all forgive me. That has nothing to do with the message. It doesn't mean anything. It's a rabbit trail. And you're not supposed to run down those. So I'll get back to my subject right here. Um, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Now, here's what happened. Jesus and his disciples are leaving. They've been to the temple in Jerusalem for service. And they are leaving. They're exiting the temple grounds. They've gone down the steps. And they're probably a good ways on away from the temple. And perhaps one of the disciples, or maybe all of them, just kind of turned and looked back at the temple. And it was magnificent, folks. I don't have time to describe it to you. I could, but it'd take a long time. I could tell you the height of all the columns and the circumference and all of that stuff. But, but, but that's sufficient to say that this was a magnificent structure. It had recently been rebuilt, the temple at Jerusalem. In fact, Herod the Great had built this temple, and it was one of the wonders of the world. There, there were... In fact, the the new temple ground, Herod had expanded the temple grounds. It now covers over 35 acres. Folks, we're talking about a big place. 35 acres for the grounds of the temple. And it was solid white marble. It sparkled in the sun. No wonder these guys turned around and looked. And there were hundreds of these huge columns. In fact, fact, there were doubled. If you saw one, you could, depending on the angle, you would see another. It was like colonnades all the way around the temple. It was one of the wonders of the world at that time. In other words, if you had been visiting Jerusalem in the day of Jesus, one of the places you would be sure to go, you would not miss it. It would be on your bucket list. You would go admire the temple. They called it Herod's temple, the rebuilding of the temple. It wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's, but it was one of the wonders of the world of that day. And the disciples were saying, look at that, Jesus. Look at that. Aren't aren't we blessed to have have a temple like that to go to? And then Jesus shocked them with this statement. I mean, he blew them completely out of the water. He turned to them and said, assuredly, I tell you that there's coming a day when there won't be one stone left on the other in that building that you're looking at right there. And the disciples were dumbfounded. In fact, just as soon as they were able to get Jesus alone or get alone with Jesus, they Ask him three questions. And here they are. When shall these things be? They're talking about the destruction of the temple. When's it going to happen, Jesus? Second question, what's the sign of your coming? Because he had been telling them that that he was going away and that he would come again. How are we going to recognize the nearness of your coming? Third question. What shall be the sign of the end of the age or the end of these times? Or perhaps, as some translation puts it, the end of the world. When will the end come? These three questions. Now, Jesus answers these three questions specifically. He deals with each one of them. The, the, the third one, I mean, I'm sorry, the first one of these three that, that Jesus Uh, deals with, he doesn't go into any details beyond what he's just told him. He just said that this is going to happen, but they would be able to know about it because it was going to happen much sooner than they realized. Um, We know this about prophecy and I've talked to you about this before when we dealt with prophecy. When God would raise up a prophet, say an an Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, any of those great prophets that God raised up, There was always a test of the prophet. How do you know when you hear a man stand up and say, I'm prophesying, 
that um, this is going to happen. How do you know that he's telling you the truth? Well, the way they judged prophecy in the Old Testament, how they judged a prophet, whether his prophecy was right or not, whether they could trust him, they would check to see if his prophecies come to pass. If they didn't, they paid a pretty big penalty. Anybody know what it cost to be a false prophet in those days? Cost your life. You're right. Yeah, they would stone them if you're a false prophet. Now, here's how God made it clear what prophecies were correct and what prophets you could trust and the ones you couldn't trust. When he spoke through a prophet, he would give them a short term prophecy. In other words, something that would be fulfilled in the not too distant future, because then you got something to judge by. And he would do that, especially when he was speaking to prophets about stuff that's going to happen hundreds of years later, or perhaps even thousands of years later. For example, Isaiah way back there in his day was prophesying the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus years and years and years. He would be dead and gone many centuries before this would take place. Now, how are they going to judge whether Isaiah is a prophet of God or not? Because God would give him a short-term prophecy as well. And when that came to pass, they would know that he's a true prophet. Now, most of you may not think of Jesus as a prophet, but Jesus fulfilled the three major orders of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus was a prophet as well as our high priest, and he's our soon coming king. Anybody glad about that? Praise the Lord. All right. Yes. So Jesus gives a short-term prophecy here. Some of them are going to see it. Some of their descendants are going to see it, but it's going to come to pass before long. The temple is going to be destroyed, and there won't even be one stone left upon another. 70 A.D., not many years hence now. Remember, Jesus was crucified in about 33 A.D., 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman emperor, came marching into Jerusalem with his army and destroying everything in its wake, and he completely destroyed the temple of God. He so completely destroyed the temple of God until there was, in fact, not one stone of that magnificent temple left on top of the other. And he even went so far as to have that 35-acre site of the temple plowed. They took plows in there and plowed the ground. So the prophecy came to pass. Not one stone left upon another happened in 70 A.D. Study your history. And, and you'll find it. Now, the second question they asked was, what's the sign of your coming? And Jesus begins to give them signs of his coming. The first sign he gave them was deception. Jesus said, you'll know that my coming is nigh when you see deception. Let me read it to you. By the way, this is the one that Jesus repeated in this sermon, and you can see why he sat down to preach it, because it was a long one. Matthew 24 is a long chapter. Um, it's repeated again in Mark's gospel, chapter 13. It's repeated again in Luke's gospel, chapter 21. These are entire prophetic chapters. I told you Jesus was a prophet. These are prophetic chapters from the lips of Jesus. And this is what he said. Here's the first sign. And this is the one he repeats over and over and over. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. He goes on talking about some other things. And then in verse 11, he says this, Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. Second time in this sermon, he mentions himself. How many knows that God doesn't have to say anything but one time for it to be true? When he repeats it, we better set up and take notice because it is vitally important. He repeats it a third time. Look at verses 23 and 24. Then if anyone say to you, look, here's the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now, 
I used to read that years ago and, 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 and false Christ. And I thought, you know, and by the way, I've met some of those guys that claim to be Christ. I ran into one, one time I, uh, in some city I was in preaching a revival and, and there was a guy that was dressed in a long robe and long beard and long hair and sandals. And he was telling everybody. In fact, I think he even had a sign that said, I am Jesus Christ. I have come back. I am here. <laughs> he didn't have a very big following. And, and, and the reason, because it's very evident that he was just a wacko. I mean, he's, he's just nuts. That's all. I'm, I'm not saying that. Apparently, the guy was just crazy. That's all it was to it. He's just, he just crazy. And if somebody walked in here this morning and said, I am Jesus Christ, the ushers would help him find his way to the door. Because we would know that this guy is out of his gourd. So how are they going to deceive many and let me tell you, the original is, is, not, is not saying that somebody is just going to come and say, hey, I am Jesus Christ. No, they're going to come and minister and tell you, I am of Christ. I am a Christian. This is a Christian ministry. We're of Christ. But they're going to preach false doctrine. And Jesus said that their doctrine is going to be so close to the truth that if you don't have Holy Spirit discernment to take this apart, if you don't know the Word of God well enough to cut between truth and error, you're going to be deceived. In fact, Jesus said these guys are going to be so sharp with their deception that they would deceive the very elect if it were possible. And thank God it's not possible. God's going to protect us from that. But I'm going to show you what we're going to have to have in these last days to shield ourselves from that kind of deception because there's going to be people and there could be some of your friends and loved ones that are going to be deceived by religions or by churches or by preachers or by ministers that claim to be of Jesus that are preaching a false doctrine. And Jesus even went so far as to say that some of these dudes are even going to perform miracles and signs and wonders. So what does that tell you? That tells you that you've got to have a discerning spirit even when there are miracles and signs and wonders. Listen, folks, miracles and signs and wonders in and of themselves is no proof that they're of God. Because there are certain things that the enemy can do. If you don't believe evil spirits can do some stuff, you go to a third world country where there's much, much, much witchcraft. In fact, you don't even have to go to a third world country. You can go to some places in America where there's a lot of witchcraft and you can see stuff going on that's not of God. And sometimes it's spooky stuff, strange, supernatural kind of stuff. There is a dark side of spiritual um, uh, force of the enemy. But don't worry about that. We've got authority over that. And I'll show you that in a later message as we, as we talk along these lines. But Jesus said, be careful of that. Be careful of that. Folks, unfortunately, and, and I see it all around me today, people are so shallow with their knowledge of God's word until they're just gullible for anything. And, and they just buy into stuff that's not right and not of God. It's just, just off just enough. Let me, let me tell you what the Bible tells you. The Bible tells us that, that if you wake up in the morning and an angel of light is standing right by your bedside, I don't care how tall he is. I don't care how bright he shines. I don't care how, how magnificent he looks when he gives you a message if it doesn't line up with this book, you, you rebuke him in the name of Jesus and turn over and go back to sleep because that's not of God. Amen. Even an angel of light, even an angel of light because Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. It's got to, this is, this is our safeguard right here. It's got to line up with the word of God. Now, now, now if you wake up in the morning 
and an, and, an, and an angel is standing there, and he's got a message from God for you, and you discern by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that it's a message from God. You have been blessed. Amen. Because God does speak and God does make manifestations. There is a supernatural. And I thank God for all of it. I just don't want to be deceived by something that's not God. And in the last days, there'll be a lot of deception. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that there's already a lot of deception out there. Amen. Well, let me move on quickly. Next thing Jesus said, there'll be wars. Now, I've had people tell a preacher, there's always been wars. We're just more aware of it today than we used to be. There's always been earthquakes and, and all of these kind of things. We're just more aware of it today because of the news coverage that we have. Well, that's true to a degree. But I've done some historical study on the, uh, on the amount of earthquakes and, and uh, wars and, and all of these things. And there's more going on right now. And it's increasing in this age in which we live. Here's what Jesus said, verses 6 to 8. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. This is what Jesus said. Wars and rumors of wars. Have the, has there ever been a time in your life when it, it seems like there's a war somewhere all over the globe? Just wars everywhere. And I didn't list the others, the famines, the pestilence, the earthquakes, because a lot of this is an is a after effect of war. You've seen, you've seen on the news where all of these people are being driven from their homeland, refugees by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, some cases by the millions. And immediately you know what follows. They've got no way of getting food. And so the next thing, they, they, they're famine, they're starving. And then after that, there's pestilences of all kinds. Of, it just goes on and on and on. These are signs of the end. Jesus gave another one, number four. He said there'll be persecution. Look at verse nine. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Never been a time in my lifetime when Christianity has been more at risk, when there's been more persecution of Christians in the world than there is right now. And folks, there's a good possibility that it'll get worse in our nation. We threw God out of our schools. We took the Bible out of our schools, told God we don't want you, so we're raising generations without God. And now being a Christian is very unpopular in some circles. And there are political forces at work in our nation right now to stop us from doing what we naturally and normally do as Christians, and that's serve the Lord and live by his word. But you stay with me in this series. I'm fixing to show you what God is going to do. We, we don't have to be, I'm not giving you this to make you afraid this morning. I'm just telling you, that these are the signs helping us understand what we are. Another one, Jesus said there'll be lawlessness, verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Number six, abomination and desolation. That's a prophecy that was given by Daniel. You can go to Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter uh, 12 and, and read about that. I'm not going to go into detail now because it, it just takes too long. But Daniel the prophet prophesied that in the last times there would be horrible abomination to the, to, to the children of God and, a, and a, just a desecration of their religion and, and, and everything and, and a, a time of desolation. Then number seven, Jesus gave the parable of the fig tree. In uh, verses 32 through 35. And many Bible scholars believe that Israel, in fact, we know that that's one of the signs of, of Israel, one of the symbols, uh, the fig tree. And Jesus is telling them basically when the, when the fig tree, when you see the fig tree, um, and, and if, if that's Israel, when you see that birth, the coming forth of Israel, that happened in 1948 when Israel became a nation when you see all of these things that relate to Israel, and then you see armies, the whole nation, the whole world turning against Israel, and nations surrounding Israel uh, proclaiming her destruction, that that generation will not pass until all of those things be fulfilled. 
In other words, the rest of these prophecies are going to come to pass during that time. So how many of you from just what little I've shared this morning would say, preacher, I believe that we're living in the end times. Is that pretty much an an understanding? Do do we get that? Do we get that? Let let me help you with a, a message from the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. Here's what Paul said, and do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Here's what Paul said He said, If you believe, if you believe that this is the end time, it's time to wake up. Wake up. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. It's time for the church to wake up. Wake up, Paul's saying. Awake. That's what time it is. It's it's time to wake up. It's time for the alarm to sound. And I'm encouraged this morning because I believe that the alarm is sounding. I believe that there are people in this congregation that are fasting and praying about our nation and the conditions of the world and our future. And I, I believe that, that, that it's happening all over America. There's, there's an awakening in the house of God. It's, it's, it's like Rip Van Winkle is, is waking up out of that long sleep. And I, I, I believe, I'm encouraged this morning, not discouraged. I'm not down and out. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm like on my tiptoes waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. I believe that God is going to speak to his church. If we will do it. So all of God's promises are, are contingent upon our doing what God called on us to do. If the church will awake and arise and be the church, my, 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 you're talking about better days ahead. God is fixing to shake this thing, turn it upside down, or maybe I should say right side up, and we're fixing to see the manifestation of the kingdom of God ahead of us. Glory to God. Give God praise this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's time to wake up. So here's my conclusion. This is what I believe. Answer the first question, what time is it? I believe, put it on the screen, that we are in the end times. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it. Now, don't doze off on me here. We're in the end times. But we've been in the end times ever since Jesus left this earth. He didn't come back in the first century, second century, third century. Here we are in the 21st century, and he has not yet returned. Here's why. I gave you this as part of my text, Matthew 24 and 14. Look at this. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, we, we got, and it's hard for me not to jump over into next week, but we, we've got a choice, church. The people of God have a choice. We have something to do with this thing. You say, well, God's in control and God will do whatever God will do. Well, that's partially true. God is in control. But God limits himself. Now, God's unlimited. I can't limit God. I can limit his blessing in my life by the way I live, but I can't limit his power because he's all-powerful. That's what omnipotence is. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. God is all of that. But God limits himself by his word. And God has said some things that he will not violate. And God says that the end will come when we get this gospel to the whole world. And until we do it, we're in a waiting game with God. And folks, the worst thing you can do is get in a waiting game with God because he can outweight you. We, we've got this little space of time, three score and 10. And if by reason of strength, four score, that's 80 years. Or perhaps maybe we could go to 120 if we get under that special blessing of God. Not many people reach that, but that's, it's possible. But that's it. God's in no hurry. 
God can, <laughs> listen, if, if you want to be disobedient to God, God will wait on you. God can wait a month. God can wait a year. God can wait a decade. God can wait a century. God can wait a millennium. God, <laughs> time's not a problem with God. It's just a problem with us. Now, here's the big problem. If we don't do, if the church does not arise and do what God has called on the church to do, then God will wait until there is a generation who will do it. Remember what he did with Israel in the wilderness? They kept murmuring and complaining and doubting and walking in unbelief and, and all that stuff till God finally said, I'll just wait till all of you die. I'll give the promised land to the next generation. Jesus could come today. I, I wish he would. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting like John the Revelator. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I'm getting anxious for Jesus to come. And he, but he is not going to come until Matthew 24 and 14 is fulfilled because he said it. And here's the problem. It's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse in this world until the church arises and becomes a church and does what God called on her to do. Now, the sooner we do that, the quicker we're out of here. The longer we wait, the longer he waits. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm ready. Man, God's got some wonderful things ahead for us. And we, <laughs> but it's, it's Paul said it, it's time to awake. It, don't do it too violently. I don't want anybody to get hurt or anything. But, but just grab your neighbor and shake them just a little bit and say, it's time to wake up. It's, it's time for the church to awake. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Because I'm going, go, I'm going to go into question number two next Sunday morning. Who are we? And talk about our identity. But I want to transition right here between point one and point two. Here's my transition. What time is it? I'm going from there to who, who, who am I? And in this transition, here's a question. Who is going to take this gospel of the kingdom of the whole world? Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Let me give you a little insight. Matthew 5, 14a, first part. You are the light of the world. You. You are the light of the world. I love the theme of Brother George's ministry. He said, we are salters. You're the salt of the earth. And we're lighters. We're the light of the world. God's waiting on us to do it. Let me add some scripture to you. If that's not enough, I'll stay with you till we get this across. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Here's what Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all the ways, even unto the end of the age. Amen. That's what Jesus said. Look at Mark 16, 15 and 16. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, here's the answer of who's going to take it to the whole world. We are. We are. I can't do anything about the first century church, second century church, third century church, 18th century church. I can't do anything about anything except where I am this morning, part of the 21st century church. But I can do something about me. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> turn to your neighbor and say, it's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn. It's our turn. It's time for us. It's time for us. And I'm going to show you how and what God has given us and equipped us with to do what he has called us to do. But we're going to have to wake up, church. We got to wake up. We got to wake up. We don't have, we don't have four years or eight years or 16 years to wake up. We got to wake up now, now, now. Starting today, it's time to wake. It's time to wake up. It's time for us to get busy about our Father's business. <clears throat> you, know, you, know what, uh, you know what Jesus said? And I don't have the scripture for you to, to put on the screen, but here, here's what Jesus said. Lay not 
up for yourselves treasure in this earth where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. Do not lay up treasures in this earth. Do, do not lay up treasures in this earth. It, it, have you got it yet? Do not. That's, Jesus said, don't do it. Here's what he said, do. But do this. Lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I, I was in preparing this for this week. I went back just for my own uh, interest and information. I went back. It's the very last. If you go to our website and you go to sermons and archives and go all the way down to the very last sermon that we got, we've still got that up. It was preached here years ago by Jack Haynes. It's a sermon entitled, If I Were the Devil. And I, I love that message. One of the greatest mission messages that I ever heard in my life. And I, I have them to keep that on our website so you can go to it. Any, I would encourage you to go listen to it. It'll bless the socks off of you and convict you all at the same time. But Jack Haynes said in that sermon, he said, if I were the devil, one of the things I, I would know that what God says is true. And he knows that. He's already experienced that. He said, if I were the devil, I would know what my end is. And the devil knows that. He knows exactly what he And so he said, if I were the devil, I would do everything in my power to keep the church from becoming the church to keep the children of God from being the children of God, to hold back the manifestation of the sons of God, the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. I would do everything in my power to keep the church from doing that because as long as I can hold the church back, I got another generation to go. And I got another generation to go. All he's doing is preserving his life for a little bit longer before he's cast into outer darkness in the lake of fire and the pit of hell. And so what he wants to do is hold us back. But I'm here to tell you this morning, I, I, believe, I believe it's going to happen in my day. I believe it's going to happen in my time. I believe that the church is about to arise and be the church. I believe that we're, we're about to get a hold of this thing. Folks, don't you realize this morning, the reason Jesus said not to lay up treasures in this earth is not because he's wanting to, to keep you poor or something like that. The opposite is true. In fact, what, what you don't realize is you, the stuff you got here is not going to last very long. It's just not. And you're going to leave. Somebody else is going to get it anyway. Somebody else is going to get everything you got. <laughs> I heard about this real wealthy man, this, this multi-billionaire. His wife died. And after he got over the grieving period for his wife and, and, and he realized that he was old and he, he needed some help and he decided he might get married again. And so he got to looking around and to his dismay, a young, beautiful beauty queen flirted with him. Boy, she caught his eye. He started dating her for long. They got married and here he is. And man, he's, he got this trophy wife on his arm and he got, but he got to thinking one day, he said, you know, he's looking at himself in the mirror. He said, I'm old and ugly and she is young and beautiful. You reckon she married me for my money? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to. So he pushed it aside for a little while, but he kept thinking about it and he kept thinking about it. Finally, it got to him. He just couldn't take it any longer. And he set her down. And he said, Honey, he said, I, I got to get this settled. It's bothering me. He said, I want to ask you a question. He said, do you love me? She said, oh, yes, I love you. He said, well, if I lost everything I've got, if I lost all my money, my stocks, my bonds, my houses, my cars, my lands, if I lost everything and was penniless tomorrow, he said, would you still love me? She said, oh, yeah. He said, I'd miss you, but I'd love you. Somebody else is going to get it, folks. What you leave here, somebody else is going to get. I promise you that. Somebody else is going to do it. I told you, I told you about the guy who was, was <clears throat> riding along one day with a friend of his, and he pointed up. His, he said, you see that big old mansion right up there? And the guy looked at him and said, yeah. He said, boy, that's a gorgeous place, isn't it? He said, yeah. He said, my uncle built that house. 
said, my uncle worked hard all of his life, saved his money. That was his dream home. He built that home. He hadn't lived in it three months, and he had a heart attack and died. His widow married a young guy, and they moved in that house up there. A year later, she died, and that young guy married a young gal. And now there's two strangers up there living in my uncle's dream home. You're going to leave it behind, folks. You're going to leave it here. So Jesus said, don't store up treasure here, but do store up treasure there. And listen to this. Have you ever noticed this? Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I I never saw that before this week. Store up for yourselves treasure. In other words, God's not just saying store up treasure in heaven for the kingdom of heaven's sake, but you're storing up treasure for yourself. Here's why. Because God is going to pay you magnificent interest on everything that you store up in the kingdom of God. Every investment you make. I don't I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of people who have investment, but I know a lot of you have some 401ks and and some retirement plans and investments in stocks and and, and all of that kind of stuff. And right now, interest is just not really too good, is it? I mean, if you're getting 5 or 6% interest, you're doing pretty good. If you're getting 10% interest, you're knocking the stars out. If I could, if I could stand up with, with absolute assurance that I had a plan, an investment program that was legal, legitimate, and would bring you 20% interest on your investment, I'd have, I'd have wealthy people lined up to, to invest in my program. But did you know that in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said the rewards are a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. In other words, the least you're going to realize in an investment in the kingdom of God is thirtyfold. That beats anything that there is to offer in this world. And in some investments will be a hundredfold. If the church would arise and awaken and get serious about what God is serious about, and that's winning the lost of this world into the kingdom of God, we would see a benefit and a blessing for not just for today or tomorrow, but for eternity beyond anything that you could ever imagine or think. And glory to God. I believe there's some people in this day and time is going to say, I'm investing with the kingdom of God. I'm putting my treasure where and where my heart is, my treasure, my heart together for the glory of God. Somebody give God praise. Amen. I, 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 I'm not even finished with this morning. I'm, I'm going to stop. I've got to stop. Stand with me so I'll quit preaching. Will you do that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glory to God. We're in the last days. But I've got some good, 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 good news about these last days. If we will do what Jesus told us to do, the most exciting days for us are just ahead because God is going to empower the children of God. In fact, those who are willing to respond to the heart of God God is going to manifest to this world, reveal to this world, here are my children. Here they are. Here are my sons and daughters. And we're going to be people of the kingdom. And we're going to do great exploits. I want to be like the children of Iskar. I want to know what time it is. I want to know what God's people ought to do. And I'm going to tell you about that next time. Praise God.